This is Brain Burrito, your faculty development wrap-up at JCCC. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Brain Burrito, your faculty development wrap-up. Um, today is Thursday, March 26th, 2020. Uh, my name is Robbie Miller, and I'm a recruiter for the admissions department at Johnson County Community College. And of course, I'm joined by my co-host. Farrell Hoy-Janab, Director of Faculty Development. All right. And so today, we're going to talk about sustainability, but we'll also cover a few other things just because, well, everybody's living through this now with COVID-19 and just all the changes that are going on right now and how it's really affecting us. We're actually not even together. We're doing this via the computer, so this is quite interesting because everything's pretty much closed right now, but we'll still make it work. So we're actually joined by two special guests today. Um, I'll go ahead and have them introduce themselves and they'll just tell you what their name is, um, what they do at JCCC, and how long they've been at JCCC. I'm Dr. Jay Antle. I'm the Executive Director of the Johnson County Community College Center for Sustainability. I'm also a history professor. My specialization is environmental history, so the current pandemic is very much in my wheelhouse in terms of uh, my interests and my uh, intellectual background. I'm fortunate enough to have lots of great people like Christy, who you'll meet here in a second, who are uh, working to try to integrate sustainability both on the physical campus and uh, into what students learn in the classroom. I guess I've been at the college full-time since fall 2000, doing the current gig since 2009. Um, and I'm Christy Howell. Um, I've been here at JCCC since 2014. I have my dream job, so my title I is tie, the coordinator. I try to interrupt you. I'm going to say Dr. Christy Howell. I was just thinking about saying that. I'm like, um, uh, there's something that should go in front of that now. <laughs> yeah, somebody defended her dissertation this morning. Yes. All of you out there in podcast land, I give, give sort of a, a virtual congratulations to Dr. Christy Howell. Yes. Thank right. you. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you, doctor. It's going to take me a long time to be able to say that. Um, so I've been here at JCCC since 2014, working in my dream job. A coordinator of Education and Engagement in the Center for Sustainability is my title. But what that means is that I get to work really closely with a group of wonderful student leaders on the Student Sustainability Committee, and I get to support faculty development for sustainability in their curriculum. Jay, thank you so much for joining us today. And so we'll just kind of jump right into just talking about things. I'm kind of like more of a definition person. I always like to define things before I even start discussing it. So I thought it would be interesting if both of you could just kind of define in your own words what sustainability actually is. Because I don't think everybody is quite aware of what it is. So I think it's good to provide some definitions. Well, and you'll also find people who will have different definitions. So, but since I went first last time, Christy, you want to go first? Sure. Um, so I define sustainability as a goal, right? It's not something that we can just immediately do. It's a goal that balances environmental, economic, and social concerns in a system that works for all of the participants within the system and doesn't harm future possible future participants. For me, because sustainability is really about the way people interact with each other and with the environment, it's messy and it's wonderful and it's full of stories and it's never perfect. That's one of the things I enjoy about this work. Right. And uh, I guess I'll go a little more into the, the history of the term here. It really sort of comes out of a report that talks about that, you know, sustainability is really about ensuring that uh, what we are currently doing does not adversely impact the ability of future generations to live their lives on this planet. And uh, that then gets you into the way that economy and society 
and ecology all interact and sometimes how they don't interact together very well. So you'll oftentimes hear sustainability practitioners talk about systems thinking, and that is how the various systems by which the, the planet operates, by which our economy operates, by which our society operates, how all those things interact. And so uh, sustainability is kind of inherently interdisciplinary which is one reason why Christy and I are able to work with faculty all across campus and students from all sorts of uh, intellectual back interests and, all, and backgrounds too, because there's something for everyone in, in what we talk about. Just to kind of piggyback off of that, um, have both of you always been interested in sustainability and kind of passionate about it? Or was there like a particular moment or just experience in your life that really brought about that passion and interest in sustainability? Well, unfortunately, you've now basically just, just uh, given us all each, each half an hour of, uh, of, of content to go off on because we, we all have our origin stories, right? I'll, I'll try to make mine pretty brief. I'm, I'm an environmental historian by training. I, uh, because of a community college in Texas, I was in Yellowstone National Park in 1988 when one quarter of the park burned. And that got me thinking about the interactions between what we would traditionally call history and the environment. Fast forward to my time at Johnson County Community College, came here full-time faculty 2000. And then by 2008, it became clear to me that there were some things happening in higher ed in Involving sustainability issues that Johnson County Community College was not involved in. And there were several other colleagues of mine who were there at that moment and came to the same conclusion. That's when we were able to, the leadership at the college at the time, gather uh, what is now the Center for Sustainability. That was concise. But, you know, you always say you're an environmental historian. Tell what exactly what is an environmental historian? Well, for an environmental historian, you take the traditional kind of historical narratives and you include the environment as another actor. But while some historians look at uh, economics or they might look at race and class and gender, and environmental historians bring in the environment as a actor that will sometimes talk back. In, in ways that people don't expect. And so we study things like the Dust Bowl, you know, history of agriculture, or things like the history of national parks. So all those things are what we environmental historians do. Christy, talk yeah. about your origin story, Christy. <laughs> so it's funny because I'm a historian too, but I came to sustainability from a social history side. In my work in history, I really focused on issues of the American civil rights movement in the South and especially in, in my home state of Mississippi. Um, and so you know, coming up with all of these stories of people's bloody fights to develop their own civic voice and to claim their power in the broken structures that surrounded them, that's sort of what I did. Um, and then I married another historian and we realized that we couldn't find jobs together. So it made sense for me as the younger of the two of us to look for uh, work that I could do elsewhere. And I ended up in sustainability primarily because I was then looking a lot at the ways that soldiers and the, the military complex I worked on Fort Campbell um, interacted with the environment and interacted within the community that I served in rural Western <laughs> Kentucky. That's how I sort of got to this world. And I think that focus on stories and the ways that people interact with their community, that has really informed the work that I've done since I've landed here. Another thing I kind of want to know about with both of you is what are some current sustainability related issues that are of particular interest to you? And now with what's going on with the coronavirus and everything, what's your take on that? And how do you think that will impact the world? Just like in your own opinion, like going forward in the future. As an environmental historian and a sustainability practitioner, 
I think everyone should understand that COVID-19 didn't come from outer space. COVID-19 came from the interaction between people and nature. That's where these viruses come from. They leap from animal species to people. And so as we have the development of what had been undeveloped nature around the world, uh, we are stirring things up and uh, those things can then do us harm. So I think what people should take in terms of what COVID-19 is causing all of us to have to do right now is understand that we are not in complete control of the planet on which we live. And so when we begin thinking about other issues in terms of sustainability broadly defined, whether it be resource consumption, plastic pollution, air pollution, water pollution, fill in the blank pollution, but also climate change, we need to understand that there are things that we are doing and nature responds in ways that we have to be aware of, listen to expertise that helps us make smarter decisions. And so all of that in this current moment is one takeaway that I hope people will have when we come out of this on the other side. It should be a blow to the hubris of humanity. Uh, it should make us be more humble. It should make, it should make us feel like we're part of a larger set of systems rather than the master of those systems. So in terms of things I'm personally fascinated with, you know, obviously I'm interested in energy. I'm interested in the interaction between economy and environment. I'm certainly very interested in climate change and what we can do to flatten the curve of that. And we can talk about that later on. And uh, now I'll pass it over to Chrissy to, for her to uh, chime in. Yeah, so my first thought in response to this question is everything. Um, everything seems really interesting um, and a little overwhelming, honestly, um, especially at this point in time. I would have to say, though, that the two things really peek out for me. Um, one of those is this issue of environmental racism and how marginalized communities often, exper- often, almost always really, experience the detrimental effects of things that we're doing to the environment that we oughtn't in a far, far more painful way than privileged communities do. And so um, telling those stories, looking at those people and their experiences and empowering them to tell their own stories, I think is one thing that, that really sort of drives me right now. And I think the other one that's actually exciting, I guess, is um, this focus shift that we have to younger leaders. Um, it is super exciting to hear these younger voices on the international stage. I don't just mean like Autumn Peltier and Greta Thunberg and the folks that get the airtime on CNN or whatever. These are voices and comments um, that I hear from people right here in Johnson County. I hear these conversations and I'm part of these conversations all the time, not just with the students that we serve at JCCC, but with random teenagers that I interact with in our high schools and middle schools. And so these concerns that we're talking about today that we really see play out nationally and internationally, they are very real right here at home. And I think making sure that we hear those voices is super, super important. And it seems like those voices. I wonder about the work you do. A lot of young people I know feel a little bit hopeless, I think. How do you address that in your work? <laughs> I, I, I laugh because it's a discomforting question, not because it's funny. I don't know that any of us do it particularly well, but we, as practitioners, we are looking at ways to manage climate anxiety and climate grief, not just for ourselves as professionals, but for the students that we support. Um, not a semester has gone by since I've been in a classroom where a student hasn't come up to me afterward or asked a question about how do you maintain hope? And there are times that it's really hard to answer that question in a way that doesn't make them feel hopeless too. 
right? I think there are times that you really just have to disconnect. There are times you have to just not look at it anymore so that you can go back to doing the work. I find a lot of strength in the students that I serve. Um, and I think that the people I work with are able to sort of shoulder the burden along with me. Um, remembering that we're not in this alone and that we have a, a team and a group with us is really helpful. That was a long answer. Sorry. No, it's a good answer. And I see a lot of parallels with what's going on with the COVID virus right Absolutely. now, too. Like yeah, people, are, people are feeling some grief and some fear and looking for new ways to come together. And I've just recently read about this, the swans returning to the Venice canals. The people have all gone away. Well, there'll be some outcomes to this that might environmentally have some interesting repercussions. Oh, I doubt it. At least not, not in the short term. Over the long term, possibly, but you know, I, I strongly suspect that as soon as Venice is able to open back up again, as people try to get the economy as they used to know it back up and running, you know, some of these things that we're all kind of enjoying online will probably be fairly ephemeral. Uh, I'm thinking, you know, in some places where you've had people who are commuting a lot now, they may be able to do that more often in the future than they have in the past. That may mean that might mean fewer cars on the road, less congestion, less air pollution. So, I mean, there are some poss- possibilities there. I want to go back to the, the question you were asking about um, about hope and what can people do and those sorts of things, because it's, it's not like there aren't ways we can deal with these issues. Um, they're well documented, but in terms of climate change, there's this whole plan called Drawdown that's been pulled together by uh, the author Paul Hawken, uh, which lays out over 100 technologies we can implement now that would begin to significantly reduce emissions and over the time reduce climate change. And many of them actually have economic benefits. So just as right now we're all being told to do the hard things like stay home, but we're being told those things because that will help solve the problem. And so I think part of what the issue with climate change is, is because the time horizon on when the harm begins seems to be beyond people's expectations or able to, their ability to, to comprehend it. People are slow to act. It's not like we don't know how to act. We, we do. There are plenty of solutions out there, but making those choices might be hard. And one more thing about, about students, you know, Christy, even more so than I, we hear from our students, they're concerned about the, the world they're going to inherit. And so there are some very interesting and complicated intergenerational issues, which I'm going to argue have been made even more complex by the current coronavirus situation, because young people are being asked to stay home, younger people being asked to stay home in order to ensure that older Americans do not get sick from the coronavirus. I have seen many responses on Twitter of, uh, okay, so we should sacrifice our lifestyles to help keep you people alive who have given us global warming who have bankrupted the healthcare system. And I'm not trying to say all of those are fair critiques. I'm saying that is a legitimate bit of discourse right now. So this issue of sort of intergenerational responsibility is also part of, of what we talk about. And that is those folks who are currently in positions of authority are making decisions about the planet in many ways, which will have some really important impacts on generations that follow. I think speaking from the perspective of a millennial, because we've been really talked about a lot during this time frame, this is all, the only word I use to describe this is just surreal. This is like the first time I think in my life, I'm only 28, that I've really experienced something I think has, like, I really realized that it's affecting me. Um, I really don't remember 9-11. I was like, 10, fourth grade. So I remember seeing adults around me and stuff going on, but 
I remember the swine flu and Ebola and things like that, you know, but this is like the first time where I've actually stopped and started thinking about things and really thinking about the world around me. And then um, the social distancing, that concept, that's really been hard for me to do. I mean, I, I think I'm one of those people I get my energy from other people. So having to like separate myself, is it's been kind of hard. And I think I've been fortunate enough. I have a part-time job. So I've been working there while we've been off um, at JCCC. And so I haven't really, I've thought about what's going on now, but I've been kind of distracted in a way. But still at the same time, I've tried to maintain that social distancing thing. But I think the thing that has really alarmed to me is how, how scared people really are. I mean, just seeing people coming into my job, they're afraid. And then some people are like, whatever. Kind of like what Jay was saying, like people saying like, I have to stop my life and my lifestyle just to help you people. It's it's just been fascinating just looking at all this. And it's definitely made me just want to make a lot of different changes, not only within my personal life, but just things that will help the greater good. So this is something that I will definitely, I think it'll impact me, at least me, for the rest of my life. I mean, seriously, so... Yeah. But um, kind of moving on from there, why do you all think that some people find it hard to understand or embrace sustainability? And maybe even and why do you think people are finding it hard to understand like the concept of what's going on with us now? Like, why do you think that doesn't click in some people's brains sometimes and just why they struggle? And I know there's an obvious answer, but um, maybe some other answers, too. Well, there are answers to this question, right? And I'll, I'll hit a couple of, of my favorites, and then Chrissy will have, I'm, I'm sure, a few of hers. I mean, let's 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 understand that the the way that the sort of modern world has industrial world has evolved has created enormous benefits for lots of people. The standard of living around the the globe has gone up dramatically. The, the global poverty has has gone down dramatically. I mean, it's kind of right now it's sort of a hard moment to try to you know, sit back and assess those things, but that's really the truth. So I think it is legitimate to say that the systems that have created problems like global warming and pollution and the things have also brought with them a lot of good. So I think there are some people who see any attempt to discuss the, the problems that the modern world has to deal with as being somehow an indictment of everything that's come before. And it doesn't necessarily have to be. It just means that we now need to move beyond because we know more than we used to. And we need to find ways to continue to allow people around the world to improve their standard of living, but still actually have a planet that's worth living on. I mean, at the end of the day, um, if everyone on the planet lived with the same kind of lifestyle that we here in the United States do, we're going to need to find three to five other planets, and I don't know where those planets are. And so that's, I think, one, one reason. It just it, it, it suggests that people actually have to be nuanced enough to understand that the way they live their life now is not, hasn't been created by inherently evil people or something like that. It's just that we have to get better at these things. Christy? I think the simple way that I would answer that question is that change is hard. Um, change is, is just always a difficult thing to tackle. I think once we get get comfortable in our day-to-day routines, um, when we're forced to do something like not be around human beings anymore, um, we all sort of balk, right, at, at that requirement. So we're seeing that play out right now with social distancing. And we're seeing the other part of my thought here play out as well. Change when you don't get to get the immediate endorphin bump 
of seeing a positive result is a lot harder. And so not getting that little refreshing moment of, hey, this change that I did fixed something makes it so much harder for people to really commit to a long-term change. Add that to the fact that individuals making changes in climate change issues feels even more ineffective because people don't see the immediate result of their single act, right, play out immediately. So I think all of those things combined, that's sort of what tells me that when I talk about sustainability, I need to do so in a way that is very community-focused, very stories-based. It's not going to turn you off with a bunch of numbers, and it's going to help you feel more connected to the people that you care about so that you're more likely to stick with those changes. So for our listeners out there who may be um, more interested in possibly living more sustainably, what do you all think are just kind of some simple ways that people can start to ease into living more sustainable? For like a a broader sort of touchy-feely response to that, don't work by yourself. Right. I mean, given where we are, practice good social distancing when you do your work or whatever it is. But remember that we're in a really rich and wonderful community of creative and generous and passionate people. And even if we don't agree, we can bring each other along on a journey to living more sustainably. So that's like the big squishy answer. But the real practical answer for me, Jay mentioned it earlier, there's this book called Drawdown. And I've done a lot of work with many lectures for folks and done some PD on Drawdown. I'm happy to bring Drawdown to your classroom if you're a faculty member who's listening here. You know, Drawdown offers these really useful, means-tested, data-driven solutions to actual problems with practical responses that anybody can pick up and take with them to the grocery store or, or wherever. And so it has really sort of manageable, not terrifying changes that we can make, you know, eat less meat, eat what you take, don't throw food away, yo, you know, don't be that person that can really ultimately, if we all adopt these changes, make profound, profound results happen fairly quickly. Yeah. And there are lots of ways to tackle this particular question. Um, I guess my first bit of advice is, and this is something that we say in our office all the time, is uh, don't let you know perfect be the, the enemy of good. And so you can't do everything. You might not be able to do much, but you know, find some element of your life that you want to work on and work on it. But also don't feel terribly guilty if at the end of the day you find yourself unable to significantly alter your lifestyle in, in the way you would like to to reduce your environmental footprint. Because understand we are all in systems, whether it be a transportation system that is not really designed to support mass transit or any number of other systems or an economic system that doesn't really make recycling work very well. So until those systems get fixed, people need to allow themselves to understand that this isn't, isn't my fault. People need to be active in trying to transform those systems by voting for candidates who want to transform those systems or supporting companies by buying their products that are trying to change those systems. So that's why I go back to this notion of systems when I think about sustainability and talk about it. So you, it doesn't mean you shouldn't do anything. It just means that you should do what you can, but understand a lot of the big impact things, whether it be... Um, reducing the amount of stuff going into the landfill or into the oceans or into the atmosphere are beyond your individual ability 
to make a huge dent. Now, collectively, we can make, we can make a huge dent. But uh, give yourself the space to understand that some of this stuff is beyond your individual control, and you just try to work to change the systems. Okay, and so do you all's work um, at JCCC through the Center for Sustainability? What are some sustainable practices that you've been able to bring to our campus? So the Student Sustainability Committee, the group that I advise, has awarded funds for over a decade, or just a little over a decade. And they've funded these projects um, and requests that are related to advancing campus sustainability. So there's a long list of stuff that this group of amazing students has been able to do. Um, But if I had to pick just one, for me, it would be the sustainability-related curriculum work that we do in the office. That's called the Sunflower Program, um, and it's a funding program that's essentially available to any faculty member, full or part-time. We award funding to faculty as they develop this new curriculum. The thing that I love about it is it gives me a great opportunity to work with faculty from all over campus. It is just a constant learning process for me, and I love that part of it. And then we also get to see in products from students. And so um, there's a really, really good sort of feedback that we're able to create for ourselves. Faculty who want to find out more about all of those offerings are always welcome to email me. I'd love the chance to build something really cool with you. But I think in our more immediate moment as well. We are offering a collection of opportunities for faculty who may appreciate the chance to introduce some of this curriculum into their online work. So we can put together readings. We're happy to join into to to discussion boards in your online classes. We can even record Zoom lectures if that's something that you would prefer. I'm happy to work with faculty who might be interested in having some discussion board questions built for them around things that they're teaching or topics that they're talking about. This is a great opportunity to share the burden a little bit. I think all of our faculty, my husband's a faculty member, he's just as stressed as everybody else. I think all of our faculty are really struggling in this moment to feel like they're still being effective in a weird new classroom, right? And we're happy to help with that. We're happy to help share that burden. Jay? I just think it's such a wonderful, generous of you for you to to offer this. And I think that, as you said, you've offered, you could upload lectures, you could offer readings, you could embed yourself briefly for a unit in the course and participate in an online discussion. So for faculty members, I think, Christy, you could work with them on customizing to the course, whatever the course it is that they're teaching, everything from account. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) So I really want to get that word out to faculty members um, that you've offered this and try to take advantage of it. So I think it's a really, it's a great idea. And also, as I said, generous and helpful. Well, and it's exciting for me because I've taught online. I've taken a lot of classes online. It's really something that I would love to do because I I get to help out um, where, where I can but I can also help out in a space that I'm really comfortable in where faculty who are new to this world may not be as comfortable. So, you know, let 
let me join in and help out. Awesome. Thank yeah, you. And uh, faculty have gotten a list of the, at least a potential list of some of the topics that we collectively can assist them with. So we're open to, to helping faculty to go online however we can. But going back to Robbie's first question, you know, if, if you go to the to our sustainability webpage, uh, jccc.edu slash sustainability, there are some dashboards there which uh, talk a lot about our recycling efforts, our energy successes, recycling rates. We call them diversion rates, which is stuff not going to the landfill anymore. So our diversion rates have gone from 18% to almost 60% since we started our work. And that's uh, thanks to the great staff like uh, Michael Ray and, and Crystal Antone, who really, really uh, got in the campus to embrace the, the culture of, of reuse and the culture of, um, of not throwing away if we don't have to. And the interns. And, and the interns, our student interns, of which we have uh, typically four to six, and uh, that's those are available to the students, and it's an hourly position, and we're always looking for for, for, for students to help us do this good work. Um, energy, we've reduced our energy usage on campus by about 28 to 30 percent since 2009, despite the fact that we've added three new large buildings, uh, that, which has saved the college about $3 million in electricity costs over that time period. We are converting now some of our rooftops to support uh, solar photovoltaic panels. And uh, between that and a deal we signed with Evergy, our electrical utility, we expect to be about 90-ish, 95%-ish carbon-free in terms of our energy usage within six to eight months from now. So we have uh, accomplished a great deal because of uh, support from our students, support from faculty and staff, our administration, and the board. We are nationally known for doing this kind of work. Although, as I like to say, when you're nationally known and get, win awards for, for doing sustainability work, it just means you kind of suck less than everybody else because we really all have lots more work to do. And so that's the way I see awards. It's just a spur for us to keep doing more good work because there's always more good work to do. Well, that is a very J type of perspective. <laughs> Because when I walk around our campus compared to other campuses, it's just, it's so different. You know, they call it the silent curriculum, where it's just surrounding our students all the time and our faculty and our staff. This idea of sustainability, it's just, it's become embedded in the culture of our campus, which I think is an amazing thing. So we appreciate you very much. I do want to say information about offering to help out with your classes. I'll put on my website where this podcast will also be posted and I'll open it up on the uh, website. You can, people can comment. So if we want to continue this conversation there, we can do that. One more thing I, maybe I'd like to add real quick is uh, during the, the time of the coronavirus, you know, everyone's trying to alter their operations. We're actually Open Petal Farm, which is our two and a half acre farm on the northwest side of campus, is even though there aren't any uh, students out there taking classes uh, using that as their lab space, we are still continuing to have the farm be operational. And so my guess is we'll probably have more of that food going to uh, local food banks in the uh, probably the May, June time period than normally we would. And so everyone's trying to pitch in and do their, their part during during this very odd and trying time. Going back to the sustainability interns, um, I actually had a coworker who uh, did the internship and he looked, Christy knows who I'm talking about. He absolutely loved it. And I still see those, I see those students on a daily basis. So I think that's a amazing opportunity for students on campus. And then one more kind of random thing. Um, Christy, do you remember the sustainability rodeo that we got to do with the kids? How can I forget? <laughs> That was so much fun. I'm not, of course, I'm, I was about to say I'm not even a kid, duh. but that was, that was literally so much fun. And I think those students really, really enjoyed that. Yeah. Describe what that's, this yeah. is. 
So um, for our listeners, a sustainability rodeo is a barrel race held on stick pony. And we were working with three groups of 35. There were way too many children in that room. They were all uh, around third grade. Um, And so basically we have uh, a line of barrels set up where students are sorting items into landfill, recycling, or compost. Um, They run it as a relay. And so student grabs item, has to run the barrels in a S shape and drops the item in the correct barrel and then runs back and returns the hobby horse to the person behind them. All done to the tune of Copeland. Yes, meat, it's what for dinner. That, that, that's all right now. It's all stuck in our heads, right? And so we did that for a ton of uh, school kids and it was hilarious. Um, but I felt like they really got something out of it. I've actually done that with K-5 kindergartners. Um, recently as well and kids seem to really enjoy it yeah it was amazing so I I just remember just how much fun I had personally (laughs) and how much fun the kids had so yes thank you so much for that and um, before we wrap up here could you both just share again how people can find out more information about sustainability and the Center for Sustainability at JCCC and if they want to get in contact with either of you um, how they could do that as well Yes. So um, the easiest way to sort of catch up on what we're doing without asking questions is to visit our website. You can also sign up for our campus-wide listserv. Jay moderates that. He's not going to spam your inbox. He's just going to keep you up to date on what's going on. Um, We have fairly active social media channels as well on Facebook and Instagram. And then if you have specific questions, people are always welcome when we're back on campus, I should moderate that now. Um, people are always welcome to stop by the office. Our offices are in OCB 157. And then the easiest way to reach us without remembering our names is to email sustainability at jccc.edu, or you can look us up in Active Directory to find out how to get to us directly. Yeah, and we also have a, a quarterly newsletter, uh, which you can sign up for on the uh, the college website or our sustainability website up at the upper right hand corner. Uh, we're in the process of figuring out what we're going to do with that newsletter during the uh, the current hiatus, but uh, we'll come up with something I'm sure entertaining for the masses at some point soon. Okay, well, Christy and Jay, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon, and uh, you know we hope to be back on campus soon. But um, for anybody that's wanting to know anything about the JCCC campus, you can always visit jccc.edu for updates of what's going on with us and kind of what's going on with campus. And um, just to everybody who's listening out there, pretty much have, like everybody else has been saying, just hang in there. You know, we are in this together. I truly believe that. I mean, look at it. We're all at home. So you have to be in it together. And I think that hashtag stay at home Casey I think that is a I think that's very a good thing at this point so let's just hang in there and hopefully life can go back to being I think normal um, as soon as possible so other than that thank you guys for joining us this afternoon and everybody have a great rest of your day all right thank you for the invitation thanks y'all thank you Bob F our producer for um, facilitating this off-campus podcast yes